Hey, hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lease with season three, episode eight of the Surf and Sales podcast. Please check out surfandsales.com. Uh, there might be one slot left for May. People should go check that out. Uh, otherwise, we've still got a couple of slots left for November. The first session only has one or two also in November, and the rest are going to be in the second session of November. Check out surfandsales.com. Big, big shout outs to our friends at Scratchpad and Sendoso. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a live session with Poonin uh, next week. I believe it's the 24th of March for a bonfire session um, uh, from, from Scratchpad. So we're excited for that. And uh, without further ado, we have someone who's very near and dear to Scott and I and the surf and sales community. Uh, it is Kelsey Calabro, who is... Uh, the one who helps us upload all this stuff, keeps us organized. She's helping me write my book. She's uh, alumni officially now of a surf and sales event. She's alumni of Scott's Thursday night sales. Uh, so Kelsey, welcome, welcome. I don't even know what your title is. So tell people what you're doing these days. Oh my gosh. What am I not doing is a better question right now. Um, hey, everybody. My name is Kelsey Calabro. I'm an enterprise CSM over at Dooley. By day and by night, I own my own writing agency. Richard kind of touched on it a little bit, but I help ghostwrite for C-suites um, in B2B SaaS. So just a way to combine all of the things I love together. And here we are. My first question is a super important one. It's, okay. What about Richard's writing needs the most improvement? It's a good I question. <laughs> I already know the answer, but I... Yeah. Okay. So we have only just started together, but I'm going to say right now it's organization because I haven't had a chance to dive too deep into like the writing and undoings of it. But Richard, would you say your answer is the same or different? I would say definitely organization, which goes with my ADHD. Um, but I would also say I'm long-winded. I need to be okay. more succinct. Okay. Um, I, I like to hear myself talk. As Scott said, at the dinner table the other night, what did you say? You said something like, oh, well, Richard Richard needs to be heard or something like that. Do you remember? <laughs> I don't know. And I was just like, I don't remember, but that right. sounds like something I would have said. Right. And, it, and it, yeah. it, it didn't come out of left field, but it was like, it was said with love. But of course, for it's me, right. It, for me, it stung a little bit, but not in a bad way. I was just like, Jesus, God damn it. Why is, is, that, that? is that is that kind of typical? Um, writing advice that you come across, Kelsey, like people have thoughts, but they're not organized and they're a little bit long-winded and they need to find a way to condense it. Is that pretty standard stuff or is that atypical? No, I would say that's standard. And I would also say that the whole reason that I really started writing and the only way I improved on that was like, I'm a long-winded writer by nature. Like I journal, I write a lot. I put all my thoughts on paper. So writing professionally, you see more of that and you start to see how you can snip and take parcels out and make it more cohesive. So it's definitely more common than it is not common in working with C-suites, especially. They have all these ideas, but putting them onto paper and making them concise, it's like, it's chaos. So I'm with you, Richard. We'll get you there. Scott, do you feel like, because you've written a couple of books and eBooks, from the first one to the second one, did you feel like the first one was a little more disorganized because you hadn't been through the process? I actually feel the opposite. I actually feel like the first time I was pretty organized, I knew exactly what I wanted to say. And the subsequent releases, 
I thought I knew what I wanted to say. And as I tried to let it out, it got complicated and, you know, a little left field, then right field and just all over the place. And um, yeah, so for me, the opposite, I feel like I started off being pretty good and I'm getting worse as I go along. <laughs> Is that, does that happen too, Kelsey? Like, what do you see there? That's interesting that you say that because Scott I actually talked to somebody, I think it was last week or two weeks ago that had brought up your books and they knew that I helped with more than a number. And they were saying they saw like consistent differences between your copy style and your writing style between book one, book two, and book three. Differences. So differences. Yeah. So I actually feel like it's more common. The opposite is more common. Like you're an outlier and feeling like the first book you had more of a clear path and like entryway into what you want to say. I'd say it mostly takes people the first book of knowing, of like having no idea. And then second book, like, okay, kind of know this process. I know what I want to do, how I want to outline it and what's going to take work and what my weaknesses are. So I would say you're an outlier there and that's a little bit less common. Well, I don't know how to, I don't know what to think about that. Is that a good outlier or a bad outlier? I mean, I think it's, I don't know if it's good or bad. I just think you have a different style. I'd say most people, it takes time to get their footing, but I feel like with you, you're somebody that is better without like the rigidity of having structure. Like maybe the first one you had less of an idea going into it. So you just, it was a free for all. Some people like that constraint and knowing like how to organize. I'm going to, this is where I get to push back on Scott. I poke a little. Yeah, let's go. I'm curious, Scott, on, on a serious note. First book was like, I'm writing a book, figuring out what my brand is. Second book, you established your brand a little bit more. Did you feel like you had to over, overthink, but do you feel like, okay, does this match my brand as, you know, now because your brand has, has evolved, right? Did, did that, do you think that was there? Not consciously. That's not something that I consciously was was thinking about. I although the first book got a lot of decent feedback, and I definitely had the panic, you know, the day before release of like, what if this next book is absolute trash and nobody reads it, and it's just like, why did you waste your time doing this? Like that type of fear, you know, before you release something that you've put a good amount of time into. You know, so I'm sure that that's that fear is pretty common with the writers that you work with, isn't it, Kels? I would say the fear is always there for people that are not used to or comfortable putting their thoughts and their words out there, probably more so. But I think as you build a brand that becomes more prevalent, like your brand needs to match what you're saying. So that makes sense to me. But I'm curious, when you started your first book, what year was that? Did you publish that? It came out in 2017. So uh, where were you? Started it at the end of 2016, maybe. So where were you in terms of like your brand building? Was it like mostly on LinkedIn? Like, were you getting, like, where was, where did it fall in line with that? Um, it was definitely all LinkedIn. There was no like communities. This is before surf and sales. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt like it was a way of, of like getting my, my philosophy onto paper and this was going to become like a calling card. Like if you want to know who Scott is and how he sells, like this is it. 
Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll throw some history into this. I don't even know if Scott remembers this. I remember this had to be 2012 because I just started my business. Kathy and I were in Austin uh, during Rot Rally. Remember that weekend we were there? With all the motorcycles you're talking about? Yeah. And uh, you and Janet and I went to dinner. We went to some nice steak restaurant and I implored you to start writing your book. And I said, you need to write about transact. You were annoyed because you were like, I want to be, I don't want to be the transactional guy. Yeah. And I said, you need to write a book about transactional sales because you'll be the Aaron Ross of that. <laughs> written about it. I, I'm pretty sure you don't remember this conversation. And, I don't uh, remember that. And, and I don't know if I've accomplished said goal, but that's neither... Yeah. Either here or there. But my point, but I remember saying, because I was like, nobody else has done it, Scott. So you'd be the, you were like, do people want to read it? I said, it doesn't matter. You'd be the first to do it. Mm-hmm. You, you were first to do it. And then fast forward, when we were figuring out LinkedIn, you and I spent a lot of time in 2017 building our LinkedIn yeah. and brand. Like that was the year we launched it. That was the year we got serious. We got really serious about it. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. What was the trigger that, that made you finally go, okay, I'm going to write this, the first book. The first one? Yeah. Uh, I had just left my job at Outbound Engine and I was doing some consulting and I didn't really know where or what I was going to go do next. And so I just felt like, okay, this is a good time to work on this and put it out. And I might go full-time consulting or I might go back to a W-2 gig. So it was that, that block of time. Um, and ultimately decided to go back and do one more, you know, kind of VP of, of sales gig. But that was, that was why it was sort of, this is the thing I'm going to do potentially right before I go into business for myself. So it, when, when did you start your own, uh, agency business? That was at the end of 2020. So I think in no October or November was when I got my first like client and then it was December when I LLC'd in 2020. So is, there any, is there any advice that, that you were given about starting your own business that ultimately proved to be wrong? Mm, that ultimately proved to be wrong? Not whether really. You, whether you took it or not is irrelevant. I'm just curious if you got advice that has proven to be wrong. Particularly from no. Scott. Yeah, I was going to say. Because I need to be heard, apparently. (laughs) Um, Nothing that really turned out to be wrong. I just had nobody, like my family, there's no entrepreneurs, like nobody started businesses. So anybody that was in my sphere that had started a business was like you, Richard, people that I was starting to meet and network with. Um, So I was really just pulling inspiration from everybody else there but so there was nobody that was giving me like false information like I mean you and I talked a lot you were like you know it's hard it's a lot of work like you can do it you just have to do it and that was really the only thing that I held on to it was just like I had this crazy opportunity to have my initial client be this awesome tech company um and I didn't want to fuck it up so I was like I need to how did that even happen like you know I I assume you're under an NDA but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, nothing more. But so actually, it's interesting because I was starting to work with you both for surf and sales, and anybody that I thought would be a good writing client, I would uh, cold outbound to. So I would prospect. So I would just send a message and say like, "Hey, I work with Scott and Richard. Watch your episode. 
here are like some takeaways, some things that I really loved, like looking forward to connecting. What, why are you smiling at me like that? I'm, I'm, I'm smiling with a, uh, this is like a, I have pride over what you, okay. what you did. Like okay. you, you okay. used our episode list as a lead yeah. essentially. A lead tool. Yeah. And it's so, I'm smiling because I, it like makes me happy. It brings me joy that you did this and that, it, and that yeah. it worked. Yeah, so I actually, I'm like, so where's Dave, my fucking cut? <laughs> so that's why I don't want to say anything. Cause I'm not going to give you a cut. Just kidding. I will. Um, so the cut. first person that I, that I reached out to was David Kensell. Um, and he's out of Boston. I was out of Portland at the time. Or I was actually, yeah, out of Portland at the time. And I connected with him on Instagram. I like could not get in touch with him on LinkedIn or anything. So we just got to talking. He found out I owned an agency, asked me, you know, he's like, I'm getting rid of my writer in a couple months. Would you be interested? And we talked for a little bit and then that's how it got started. It's nice to be He is, by the way, he is one of the most, at least he has been, I don't know lately, but he's certainly been one of the most approachable people in the space that um that i've ever met like where you can he engages you Mm -hmm. go up he seems to have a good memory for it of like oh yeah i remember you kind of a thing um like i remember meeting him in atlanta at at a rainmaker once and i walked up and i'm like oh we've changed some messages like yeah i know who you are and i was just like wow okay cool yeah he's Um, he's super approachable that way i really like that about david yeah so So that's how it started client number one what what mistakes have you made since starting? Actually, here's, here's a better question. Ask a different way. How many failures have I had? Got it. Let's talk about it. Whew. As you started your business, what mm-hmm. was your hypothesis? Mm-hmm. And yeah. through that hypothesis, here are the things I got right, and here are the things I had to adjust. So many things. I would say the hypothesis was that I didn't need as much structure as I probably did need, um, especially working full time. At the time, I was an SDR over at Gravy, so I was also working a full workload and trying to understand like what does it take to own a business? How can I stay organized? How am I following up with people? So a lot of my failures really were, which is funny now, being like a CSM and it's all follow up. It's all creating like a process for yourself. I had zero process. So a lot of my failure resulted in like not doing good on follow-up people being like, Hey, where are we at? You know, like, where is the sitting? So really trying to dissect what does this look like from a business perspective for myself? And what is this experience like for my customers and my clients? Like, how can I blend those two things together and like, make sure I'm not losing my mind, losing tasks. So those were a lot of my failures and it took a long time to get better at it. I'm not perfect at it still, but that was a lot of my struggle in the beginning. Is it easier for you to live in these two worlds now that you're in the CSM role? Because it feels like, and seems from watching your posts on LinkedIn, your writing and stuff that you've kind of found a home, if you will. And like, this is your career niche and, and path. And like, you're going to eventually become CSM leadership and and all that kind of thing. I'm just wondering if it feels more natural now to be doing two different gigs as opposed to when you were an SDR and also trying to run your own agency. That feels like maybe it was way more stress- stressful for you. Yeah, the CSM and the, the writing agency alignment is 100% me, like to my core. I feel like they both blend really well together. So 
I would say it makes much more sense for me now. And it gave me a lot of understanding going into the CSM role of like, how can I do my business better? And how can I run my agency better for my clients? So I would say I do feel more at home being in both of those places, as opposed to doing the SDR work and doing the agency, they were disjointed. There was no true connection there. Um, and I think the agency, when I sit back and look at it, it was my like need for control with starting a business. You know, when I think about it realistically, like SDR, you have no control. You're kind of trying to own something that I just didn't connect with. So the agency was my way of owning something that was my own. Is there something that you got right in going into CS that is just by dumb luck <laughs> that, that you would now pass on as like canonized advice to somebody else? Um, I... I don't know about that. It's a really good question. I had dumb luck. I would say like landing that role was really lucky coming over from sales. Like I think having the background of sales was my version of dumb luck. Like I, I just happened to be in sales for so long and getting into CS was like, you have all the tools. I think a lot of people feel like the CSM jump is really difficult. And to some extent, it is still hard to go from an, a sales role into a CS role, even though they're one and the same. But I would say a lot of people, when they ask me advice now, I'm like, well, you should just start getting more integrated in sales, like get an understanding of sales process, um, understand business, like don't think of success as support. And I just luckily had a lot of that in my back pocket. Would you, would you say that everybody who goes into CS should have sales experience? 100%. 100%. 100%. I, anybody that reaches out to me asking about CSM roles at Julie, I'm like, what's your sales background? Or I want to know, like, what do you, do you have like any communities that you're ingrained with that are sales focused? Like, do you know anything about sales? Like that's, those are a lot of the questions that I'm asking. Cause I actually feel like that is a huge reason why I was hired at Julie. We had a CSM that was solely CS um, work history. And I came in with a sales background and Ellie Hutton, my manager was like, I love that you're an SDR. I love that you've been a closer. You have like a different talent, different skill set. Um, that confidence is there. And that's a lot of that is bred from sales. And I think it makes a huge difference in CS. Scott, you seem surprised. Do you think that that's a requirement or are you just surprised that was her? Answer? I think I was, I think I'm a little surprised that she said yes, a hundred percent, just like with reflex, mm -hmm. like bang. Yes. You know, she agrees straight away. I, I feel like that might not be the most common answer that we would get if we surveyed, you know, a hundred other people. I, I, I agree with her. Right. Um, I'm just, you know, pleasantly surprised to, to hear her response. I would, I would say that even the next step of that, and you tell me, Scott, you know, if I want to be a VP of sales now in 2022, or be okay. not only do I need to be have had sales experience, but do I need to have been in customer success? Oof. Right. Does a CRO need to have had both of the, like, are we reaching that place where like, okay, you really want that? The ideal would be that person, but they, there may not be enough of them out there yet. Right. Like statistics. Yeah. I don't know if there's enough of them out there. I, also, there's a big difference between VP and CRO. Yes. I don't think a VP of sales needs to have experience in, in CS. 
But I think if you're going to be a CRO, you better have experience in probably two of the three main disciplines, marketing, CS, and sales. I don't know anybody who has experience in all three, but I do know people with experience in at least two of them. And particularly because, you know, we're so sales focused and we've been pushed down this path of sales, you know, manager, director, VP, right? It's almost like we'd be look, we'd be frowned upon if we took a year and went to customer success. And that probably pisses Kelsey off. I was going to say, that's like one of my big qualms. It's like people, and that's part of the other aspect of the CS sales connection is like, I think a lot of people see career pathing into CS is like, if you have a support background and I'd actually say it's the opposite, you should have a sales background and that can push you into CS. But I don't think support and success go hand in hand. They're different. And the unfortunate part about being a CSM is having to retrain all of your clients and customers understand like, I am not your support engine. I am your success. Right. I'm your success. It feels like, it feels like that growth place where, you know, when I came along, you know, we were considered, you know, we, you know, inside sales was too advanced. We were telesales or phone sales. To say we were inside sales made us sound too important, right? And so it has evolved, um, you know, and Scott, I don't know, you know, you may not have experienced that. Like, I don't know, when you had your first gig at, what was the place? And um, you're talking about Reply. You're talking about Reply. Yeah, Reply. Were you considered inside sales, telesales? Do you remember? It was, it was called inside sales. It was. Yeah. So I... Three or four years prior to that, because I'm that much older, we were having internal arguments in our organization that stop calling us telesales, stop mm-hmm. calling us, you know, all those uh, call center, right? Stop calling us all those dirty words, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels the same way. Yeah. It feels similar in the way you described it, Kelsey. Mm-hmm. At that yeah. So, that was a hard, like, bridge to jump over for me coming from the SDR world into CS was I go, I don't pick up the phone in CS anymore. Like I'm email. I have connected Slack channels with customers. Like we communicate over email. Like I do not have to pick up the phone. But when I first started, I was like, okay, so like, do we, how do we like get numbers of my customers? And Ellie was like, we don't call our customers. Like, don't do that. I was like, oh, that's like SDR ingrained in me. So it was just different. It's just a different channel. How do you feel about variable compensation in CSM roles? I, I think they should all have variable comp. I think if you're attached to expansion, you're attached to renewals. If you're leading those with AEs, um, which we do at Julie, we lead expansion renewals with account executives. We just got our first AM this week, actually. So they'll be taking on a lot of that. Um, but I know we're still figuring out a lot of how we structure compensation for CSMs, but I feel it should always be attached to real comp because it is revenue focused. It's revenue centric. Yeah. But a lot of orgs don't operate that way. Still a lot of orgs are here's your salary and that's it. Now please go retain everybody, expand everybody, renew everybody. You have these specific um, KPIs, let's call them, that you're measured against, your job performance. 
but there's there's no no comp there. It's, I'm just give any sense of like what an organization is thinking that leaves it alone like that or, or why they're doing it that way and hasn't moved into this new kind of model? I would love to know the answer to that. That's something I would love to know. I don't have variable comp just as a... Um... Because compensation, variable compensation is seen as a cost. Mm. Yeah. It affects your margin. CFOs don't want to do it. Nobody's ever done it before. So yeah. why should we do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're saying that's how they think. Yes. But they have no problem paying variable compensation to salespeople. Right. And now all of a sudden, everybody wants a variable compensation. Right. I don't now, think everybody. Now the CFO's like, now the CFO's like, well, you know, great. Who else? You know, do I give my engineers variable comp and my marketing and my product marketing and all this? And so now all of a sudden, variable becomes a cost to, and it's something they can actually control. Now they're losing more control, in my opinion, because of the current state of the job market. Right. But Scott, you and I know we've been through downturns where it's like, you know, our time at Leapfish, where it was like, we're going to pay people, what, I don't know, 1500 a week, 1500 a month or something ridiculous, where it was just like, it was 2008 and nine, people would take the job. Yeah, I think coming into the CS role, that was something that um, looking back, I didn't question at all. Like you, you know, I didn't question just having a, a base salary and getting a bonus every six months um, and not having variable comp. It's something that I would definitely be very cognizant of going into a CS role and asking, am I running renewals and expansion? Who am I running them with? Am I working with AMs or AEs? Are they getting all of that compensation or that commission when they close the deal? Because technically you're working in conjunction. So if you're getting none of that, they're getting all of that. There's some, there's some space there for questioning. So there, forward, just, different. just out of curiosity, when you went from sales to customer success and you didn't have a monthly quota, so to speak, right? You just sort of had this annual bonus. Mm-hmm. Was, there, was there a small sense of relief of like, oh my God, I'm not chasing the dragon quite so much? Uh, I had that moment for about, a month and a half. And then I looked at all of my accounts and I was like, Oh, I am in charge of all of these. And if they churn, I'm like, you know, there's a big X over my head. So I would say it definitely struck me as like not having that monthly quota that I have to hit, but every month I am having to attain every account. Um, I've worked really hard. So I'm very fortunate in the last year, I have 0% churn, 100% retention. So I've worked really hard to maintain that number. Um, and I had to take on all of our accounts after we lost our last, our only other CSM. So it was jarring there for a bit. You come in and you're like, we have Asana as one of our biggest customers. If they churn, like whole company is going to be upset. You're like, oh my God, I'm new to this role. Like, what am I doing? And having to run expansions on that, it's, it's just as jarring. I wonder if that's part of it too, for the people who go from sales to customer success. 100%. Where they're like, oh, I don't have to chase this anymore. And then they realize how hard they're working. They're like, fuck. Like that might be the one piece of advice that if you're going to go from sales to CSM, you need to be aware of. Um, and I also say, that I think we're going to take that last 30 second clip and we're going to cut it and we're going to send it to Mark P. Jung to say, <laughs> Kelsey is yeah. ready, who is co-founder and CEO. Is he CEO or is he just co-founder at Dooley. Mark? Yeah. Just, no, he's VP of marketing. VP of Mark. Oh, well, even more so. We'll just make him just go fight and battle for you. Then. There you go. 
There you go. No, it's definitely something like I think about a lot. If people reach out to me and I, I, I try to write about it as much as I can is like, don't get blinded by losing the quota. You still have it. It's almost heavier than having the monthly sales quota. You're in charge of a lot more, in my opinion, along with, I mean, I run customer stories. I'm working on getting our community off the ground. There's a lot that you're involved with. So you lose the monthly quota, but you have it all still always. Yeah, then you, yeah but then you're in charge of like the ultimate prize, right? Like, right. you know. Now you're supposed to go out and kill Jaws with a mm -hmm. small boat. Yeah. But it's like, I find it to be like. It's like Kelsey needs to just go and say, look, I, I need a bigger boat, which basically yeah. means I need a bigger comp package. Richard, she wasn't even born yet during that, when that movie came out. That's okay. Yeah, okay. Come on. I, I'm cultured. We know Jaws. We get it. <laughs> it's all right. Do, so. you. do you, do you think that, um, I think a lot of people talk about going into very early stage startups because you just like have to drink from a fire hose and you learn that much faster. Is, is that applicable in the CSM function as well? hundred percent. I mean, just to give you like an idea of the landscape that I walked into when I came into Dooley was like, I have a manager. She was managing every account. She was selling every account months before I had gotten there. She hired a CSM that came on um, as our enterprise CSM. And then I was hired. We lost a CSM. So it was really just two of us, two of you, two of you, like manager, but she was starting to manage and I was starting to take on, um, those accounts at the time. And then we have two other people on the team that are more product and more like customer enablement, CS enablement focused. So really the only person like managing these accounts was her and myself. Um, and, that was it. So. so you just, are you learning just by doing and by getting certain things right and, and maybe getting a few things wrong or are you able to get, you know, a lot, a lot of feedback um, from your boss because it's like a small team of a couple, like wh where are you learning how to do this mm -hmm. in case in the future, somebody's like, we want to hire Kelsey to build our entire customer success, you know, program out. Yeah. A lot of it was from her. Um, unfortunately, like it is, it is a lot of drinking through the fire hose and doing a lot of your own coaching and own research. Like that's a lot of what I was doing was like watching gong calls. We have recordings of past renewal conversations. Like what do those look like? Um, but at the end of the day, like a lot of it was just me knowing how to run client calls and have conversations. And I ask questions and I'm curious um, and just trying to build it out from there. Like I just had to do a lot of that on the fly and figure it out and then pinging her asking questions like, what do, what am I supposed to do next? Like renewals, what does that look like? Meeting with account executives and mm -hmm. seeing how they're working that process. So it really is the one role I've worked in where I'm working with every department in the org. So luckily like somebody has some connection to CS. And I can get my answers, not just from my manager, but from them and some coaching all across. Who are some of the, who are some of the people that are in CS that you enjoy listening to or, or reading their content? Mm. I love, so one of my favorite companies is Insided. They just got acquired by Gainsight, which is a big move, but they're a community platform um, focused on customer success and they just got hired, uh, acquired. So I love anything Insided puts out. I think all of their content what is, is it? like- Say it again. Insided. 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 Mm -hmm. Yep. 
So Remco DeVries, he's over in Amsterdam. They're based in um, Amsterdam, New York. He's like incredible, super knowledgeable. Um, Gianna Cipriani, I cannot remember her full name, but I follow her on LinkedIn. She's amazing. She has been in the industry for a while, but I would say it's harder. I mean, I'm just really starting to get integrated and meeting more like LinkedIn influencers in the CS sphere. Because again, my background is sales heavy. So everybody on my LinkedIn is account executives, SDRs, CEOs. I write for CEOs. So I'm more ingrained there. Recently, I'm like, where do the CS people live? Where do I find them? I'm trying to kind of push into those. Is there, so, and Scott and I are much like you, like our feed is all sales. Occasionally some customer success comes up. Mm -hmm. Is there as a strong and powerful customer success LinkedIn community and just because we're not connected with them, we don't see it as much. Do you feel like they're they're there? And you know, what's the what kind of stuff is in there? Because I th- would be willing to bet sales and sales leaders should go pay attention. You know what I'm finding whenever I do find CS influencers is their content. And again, like I'm very focused on how people write their content because I'm a writer. Um, their content isn't as engaging, and that's something that really hinders my ability to connect with that community so far is like if people are posting and they're in CS a lot of it is like join my webinar today or come to this webinar it's CS and how to run renewals and I'm like it doesn't have as much of a foundation as sales does it's like boring so I think that's where I saw the market was like being a writer having the background I do being in CS like that's where I'm gonna move into there are definitely communities um in CS that I'm joining and trying to get an idea of what they look like, but it's, is it, is it exciting though? Because you feel like, Oh, wow. There's kind of a, a, a gap here that, that I could fill. So is it, is it kind of. Go ahead. Yeah, it's exciting, but it's, I'm also so new to it. So I'm, I, it's kind of like that intermediate, like that beginner energy where like, I want to dive into this, but I also don't want to look like a total idiot and say something that people are like, that's not, that's, that has nothing to do with renewals, you idiot, like cancel or, you know? Um, so I don't want to dive in too quickly, but you know. But here's the cool thing. Since they're not very engaging, no one would know. There you go, Richard. Nobody's right? like, engaging with me. So why does it matter? Like <laughs> no one would know. And, and if it did happen, well, then it's a good learning for you and the community. And that's what, you know, we were all trying to do, right? Like it's, it's different. Um, and I would, I'll generalize and say, I, I think the customer success mindset is very different, right? They probably look at all the content that some of the salespeople put on LinkedIn. They oh, just, yeah. it's honest, it's right. Like there's just, it's just not for some people, it's probably just not their thing. Right. And you're, you might be the outlier, right? Even though the folks like Nick and other play people do stuff social, right? Like it's almost like, my outside perception is you have to have made it before you can be social. Whereas mm-hmm. sales, we're trying to figure out how to make it and we're yeah. going to be social to get there. So it's, right. but I, but I, I don't know if that's true. That's just, that's just a, a no, I feel that's a valid point to make. I think how I feel about it is I'm, I'm trying to enter into whatever I do next with like, I don't know everything, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. And that's how I felt about being in CS. Like I was very so when do you when do you write your ultimate customer success book? You know, you're writing for everybody else. You can do it after you write mine. Write mine. But, okay. Um, after I finish yours in hopefully six months, Richard, I will start doing my yeah. own and then I'll publish it. Just there for you. Because nobody else is gonna want to read it. <laughs> All right. 
I don't know about that. I, I, I mean, every single client that I work with at some point in the engagement says, do you do the same thing with customer success? Do you build a playbook the same way? Do you know how to do all that kind of thing? So I think that, um, I think that, you know, it's exciting as your friend to, to see and hear you like land where you belong, be good at it, be passionate about it. And it's kind of like early days still, I feel like a little bit, you know, and so you can make a big, uh, a big splash and a big impact there. I mean, I know you're making a big impact at Dooley, but I'm thinking in a longer arc, you know, 10 year career kind of thing from now. Well, it's interesting too, because I think that there's still only a couple of large customer success orgs, right? And they've capitalized on it at that company level. Nobody's come at it from the individual contributor level. I see, yeah. That's right, and I think that's the piece that, that's where the community will be built when that yep. person comes out and does that, which I know will, you know, and there yeah. will be a couple of them, but I think that's the piece that's missing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. People don't see it as an IC thing. They see it as a department. Right. Still or company. But if, you th if you think about the books that are out there from, from the influencers, you know, whether it was um, Aaron Ross um, and Scott's book and Trish Bertuzzi's book, mm -hmm. those are the ones that sort of have the groundswell of, oh, you should go read this book, right? Okay. Um, not that you shouldn't read a book that Nick Meta puts out, but it's just coming from an organizational level, which may not be at, which is a different, it's an organizational tactical level versus, you know, here's how you do the team. And when you got one team and when you bring an account manager and when you do, you know, like all the stuff that Scott and I get hit with of like, you know, which, you, you know, you should, so then the next question is when do you just do and go and, you know, build your own consulting for customer success? So. Hmm. That's next on the list. You both know. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, duly can't that. Beep, 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 beep. Uh, this, uh, this, feels, this feels pretty easy, natural conversation. It feels like we're continuing our conversations from, uh, you know, Costa Rica and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, I want to ask a super important question. As somebody who has worked with and helped out Richard and I for a while now. I knew you were going to ask this question. What is your best piece of what, we need couples counseling? No, that's not what I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask, what is your best advice for people who are looking to work with Richard and I and how to deal with us? I'm still trying to figure that out. Oh my god, I have worked my ass off on you two, and sometimes it just there's walls up. You two have walls up. I would say patience is the number one thing for both of you. What's our role? Um, what are our roles? I you, think- you can, you can pick on me, like go for it. Oh no, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm fully capable of picking on you, don't worry. <laughs> um, no, I would say, you know, I, I mean, I try really, really hard when I see something that I know that I can make an impact with, like both of you, like I've, I've literally prospected you both to work with you in different capacities. So whether it's like surf and sales help, podcast help, book help, um, it takes a lot of patience and I would say maybe lower your expectations and your hopes a little bit and just like insert yourself however you can be of help. And I think that makes the most impact for you both is like however you can help Scott and Richard where they need it. I think over time that shows 
you know, for both. Does it pay? Does it eventually pay off and bear fruit? Is it rewarding? Financially, no, but I'm just kidding. Financially, financially now, actually, I would say. I would say. Hold on, hold on. She's retracting a little bit. Yeah. I would say financially now, a year later, it is paying off because I work with you both in certain capacities now with like Richard with a book. Which makes uh, sense that she said patience. That's good advice. Yeah, patience. I waited. I put in my work for a year and it's paying off slowly but surely. Um, so I would say it does pay off. Also, just being able to be close to you both, like and getting to know you both better. This is a, just me being genuine. Like it is not only the greatest thing I've ever done professionally, but personally, like it's been amazing to get to know you both. So, so First, first she called us assholes because we're hard to work with. <laughs> then she said we're the greatest people to work with. That's what people. It was, yeah, it's like assholes with love, you know. Yeah. You and Jeff and Scott just pains in my ass, but I love you all for yeah, it. I I can appreciate that. I'm I'm not a clear communicator. Richard, you you are an enterprise sales cycle. That's what she said. It right. took her it took her a year, and now it's paying off. You're an enterprise sales cycle. Scott, you're enterprise sales cycle. Right. And Scott's transact. Scott's like, oh, she's, hey, she's, what can she help me get off my to-do list? Today? Yes. That's Scott is Scott's transactional doing. and He's so disorganized and Richard is enterprise sales cycle. Yes. 100%. <laughs> oh man. Well, we want to thank you for spending some time with us and also thank our sponsors, Scratchpad and Sendoso. Uh, May's surf and sales event is in fact, totally sold out, Richard. It's Love been you. sold out, been sold out for a while. Uh, we have, I think one or, we have one or two uh, spots left for the first week of November, and we have maybe 10 or so spots for week two in November. So just an update there for everybody. Last question is always, what can we do to be helpful to you? Do you want advice on anything? Do you want five minutes to just continue to tease us? What do you, what do you want? No, what can I we do? I can reach you both whenever I need to. No advice needed. Letting us off easy. I will. I'll let you off easy. I called you assholes, so I have to kind of play nice right now. No, we love it. Like we would, you know, I was, it's funny, Scott and I were at this event at my son's bar mitzvah and we were both in, I was in a suit and tie and Scott was in a suit, no tie. And I told, we, we should have done this, Scott, but we should have like created this picture of me standing nicely in my coat and tie and Scott like sitting in a chair looking annoyed that he's got to be in this picture. <laughs> it would have been you think, do you think I would be more annoyed that I was in a suit or having to take the picture? That, this that's, is that's it's, that's the Mona Lisa question, Scott. Like yeah. it's up for the interpreter. It's not up for it's not up for us I to have like that. One question. I'll flip the tables on you both. You asked me about working with you two, telling anybody, what would you tell anybody asking either of you about working with me? Other than do it? Yeah. Yeah, other than that. Uh, so I have one thing and I have to be mindful about it because I've never been through the book process, okay. which is, I've, and I think it's me, I, well, I'm trying to save you. Save me. I feel like I feel like it's taken us a little while to get to our first meeting. I would agree with that. But I don't know if that's my schedule, right? I, I can own that piece of it. But and I also don't know what a process like this looks like because on the other side, I sent you a ton of stuff that I have written. So you probably spent assuming you've spent time reading what I have done and going through some things. So the, my perception may not be reality. So maybe that's 
if you're going to work with Kelsey, spend time asking about the process because I didn't feel like I needed to because I already have trust in Kelsey. I know her, right? I have worked with her. I know it'll get done and um, it'll never get done fast enough for me, but um, that's me. That's, that's my advice. Like, make sure you understand. I was just like, oh, Kelsey can do this? Fuck yes. Great. Here you go, Kelsey. Here's, give me the contract. So I would say that is a very good piece of feedback and it's something that I'm consistently working on. So thank you for being honest. My, my answer would be, um, be prepared to get lots of ideas and have more things to work on and fix than you initially thought. That's true. So she, she will be unafraid to give direct feedback and the scope of what you need to work on is going to increase because she sees things she sees flaws and opportunities in places that you may have blinders on or just haven't gotten there yet. So I might say to her, I need help with X, Y, Z. And she'll be like, actually, you need help with the whole fucking alphabet. And here's why. And I'm like, uh Oh, <laughs> she's right. So just be prepared. I don't know if that's, you know, I think that's partial credit for just having the vision to see opportunities for improvement and also maybe just a little bit of the upsell skill that she possesses there as well a little bit yeah hey closer by nature yeah. don't forget great now i'm not looking forward to that first meeting richard he <laughs> <laughs> uh, cancels on do me. it where where can tell everybody where they can find you and check out your agency as well as some of your content and all that kind of stuff yeah, I think LinkedIn is the best place to find me. I talk a lot about CS and writing um, on there. Uh, also have a website I am working on. It'll be hopefully launched by end of month. And Twitter, Antisocial Kels. I try to post some relevant topics there as well if you want to find me there. Cool, cool, cool. Awesome, Kelsey. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Yeah. Uh, looking, I am looking forward to our first conversation. I'll make it worth it for the wait, Richard. I'll make it worth it. Thank you. Thank Scott, you. it feels like we haven't, you know, we saw each other yesterday. So which we did. <laughs> yeah, because we did. We did. But you got to stay home and I get to fly home all day. <laughs>